What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 155 on this first Wednesday of November, November 2nd, championship November, right in these here parts, 2022, <laughs> whatever. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Hey, Josh, you remember that podcast we did that got like 3,000 downloads and everybody really liked it and everything was great? Run it again. <laughs> Run it again. Well, do that. And also, I mean, the softball schedule dropped today. So that's your championship November content for the entire month. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I don't think any championships will be won. Barring chaos, who knows? Maybe it could happen. Brian Venables even, even slipped that in yesterday in his uh, press. Remember, he was like, we finished 10 and 3. He's like, or maybe 11 and 3. Who knows? And I was like, probably not. But I appreciate you throwing that in there just in case. The little, the little just maybe uh, at the bottom. Long Brent Presser yesterday, 51 minutes, 21 seconds by my count. That's the longest of the season. If you want to watch that entire thing, it is on allsooners.com. It is on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Um, got a lot from that. We're going to dive into a lot of it, obviously, and preview the Baylor game here in just a second. But we'll start as we always do. Let's wrap up the last game, put the finishing touches on it. Um, what was a wild weekend in Ames. We came all the way back after the game. If you caught our car pod. Um, it was pretty good considering it was a car pod. I think it went over an hour and everything. We recapped it, it was on YouTube though. So if you didn't catch the podcast, it's on wherever podcasts were found, but to kind of put our finishing touches on the Iowa state game, let's do that now. Um, Sooners beat Iowa state, good performance, relatively speaking, really good stuff in the defense offense did, um, enough and did enough against a good defense in Iowa state to win that game. Um, now that you guys have had some time to let it wash over you, all that usual stuff. What are some thoughts in that game as we kind of close the book on that one? Well, first things first, we didn't hit a deer. That was uh, we avoided the deer. Yes, we were deerless. We made it all the way home. <laughs> Can't say it was uh, uneventful. An uneventful trip. Have you guys ever pulled up to a gas station and swiped your card and had it had it work? Only it tells you that the sales canceled and you need to go inside and see the associate. And like what? Just trying to give you my money for some gas so we can get home. Is that like 3 a.m. too? Or 2 a.m.? Yeah, it was was well after midnight. That was so frustrating. But, um, and then you're trying to buy a burger and you can't buy a burger anywhere in Ames (laughs) without waiting like 45 minutes. I'm like, I thought this was fast food. So, uneventful, no. Deerless, yes. We were excited about that. The game itself was an odd game. Uh, I guess most games these days are odd. Um, Oklahoma was a, what was the line, Josh? Was it, did it close at three and a half? Oh, one and a half, I believe. One and a half. Or, or yeah. maybe even one. It might have even gone down to one. Yeah. So that was something that, uh, indicated that it might be a closer game. And the fact of the matter is if, if Marvin Mims catches a pass or if Theo Weiss, I think at one point catches a pass or if, uh, d- maybe, um, Dylan Gabriel doesn't over- underthrow a guy, again, or overthrow a guy, whatever the situation was on a given play. Uh, that game probably wouldn't have been that close. There was a uh, Eric Grace first fumble of the year uh, that, you know, squashed another drive. And, um, yeah, it, was, it, it could have been a lot worse. But uh, I think Oklahoma at this point, after where they're at right now, will take their second win in a row, take a tw- uh, 27-13 win. Two touchdowns, comfortable victory. You never got the sense that Iowa State was going to threaten at some, at any point. Uh, I'd leaned over to Ryan and said, if this Iowa State offense scores 14 points today, everybody's fired. Well, good news, they only scored 13. 
everybody gets to keep their job, right? Um, so the Oklahoma defense controlled the thing from the outset. Uh, there was a couple of passes that you would like to have defended a little better or maybe gotten uh, the, your hands on the quarterback one, one or two more times here or there. But on the whole, I think Oklahoma's defense controlled the, the entire tempo of the game. Yeah, I think my takeaways from both sides of the football are offensively, this is everything Oklahoma fans have been screaming for four or five years as far as an offensive game plan at Iowa State. Didn't abandon the run, try to take their shots on first and second down, or like especially second and short, second and medium, as opposed to just airing it out and playing air raid football. I thought that was a really mature performance from Jeff Levy, who is still only in his fourth season as the OC, right? The only guy with the OC. So I I think that um, there have been other really great offensive minds that have matched up against that defense and not figured out, oh, if you just run the football, then then you can have success against that offense. I think the other side of the ball, it was a good performance by the defense. I also think it's really important not to conflate what that was. Hunter Decker stinks. The Iowa State offense is a joke. Matt Campbell needs to figure that out because I understand losing talent and things, but but that offense is dismal. The offensive line's not any good. They have no run game. So, like, congrats. You get the gold star. Oklahoma has not been holding offenses below what they need to be. And so it shouldn't be taken away from the fact that Oklahoma went out there and made the Iowa State offense, which is a bad offense, look bad. That's a good thing. But that doesn't mean with Richard Reese and an actual good offensive line coming to town this weekend that suddenly the run defense is fixed and that's something that Oklahoma can rely on. So that's the big test. They obviously can go out there and lay down a marker if, if they're able to have success against the run game this week. But let, let's not say that just because it looked good in Ames, it's suddenly going to be fixed coming yeah. up the rest of the way. That was the perfect get-right opponent for the defense specifically. Yeah, good point, Ryan. I think Oklahoma showed a lot of progress defensively, but uh, they still come into this game ranked 114th in the country, stopping the run, and they're having to face a Baylor offense that ranks 24th in the country and running the football. So uh, not a particularly great matchup for Oklahoma. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, you know, we talked about it at length in the postgame show. Special teams was fantastic. Um, we went into that game knowing that defense, this, this was going to be, it, it was an unfair spot, I guess. Uh, it was kind of a no-win situation, I guess, is a better way to put it, for the defense because you went in against an Iowa State offense that we knew wasn't very good. And it was kind of a, if they don't shut them down, they have problems. And they did. So all the credit in the world goes to that, doing what they did, shut them down, gave, when you hold your opponent to 13 points, Oklahoma's going to win 99% of the time with Dylan Gabriel on this offense. But like everything Ryan was just saying, Iowa State's offense is not very good. They've scored very low point totals every game this season. Basically, they scored nine against Kansas State. Like they, they don't score points. Their offense isn't very good. They don't run the ball at all. So you did what you had to do, but now you need to build on it moving forward. That's going to be the the task ahead. Uh, obviously, with Baylor this weekend, we'll talk about that game a lot here in just a second. So Brent Venables, like we said, press conference yesterday, fifty one minutes. He did give an update right at the top of for Javante Barnes, who did not make the trip. Two aims. That was unexpected. Obviously, we didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't even realize at first until they kind of broke off into their their groupings up by position. It's like, oh, yeah, Javante Barnes isn't over there. Insert Marcus Major is running back two. He didn't do much. Eric Gray, thankfully for Oklahoma, had another really big game. Brent Venable said after the game, Javante Barnes had a slight hammy. 
He's not sure if he'll be back this week. Said he'll probably be about a game-time decision. It's hard to tell because you just don't know how hamstrings are going to bounce back. Said it wasn't a serious injury. Shouldn't be like season-ending, but it's hard to know just how long it'll be. With Marcus Major's play kind of being uneven, you, you, you'd like to get Javante Barnes back as soon as you can. You don't want to rush him, but you might need him this weekend uh, to, you know, to sustain drives and to try and win this game. Yeah, did we get clarity yesterday uh, from Brent Venables on the other running backs who are not Marcus Major, not Javante Barnes, and not Eric Gray? I think the question was asked, but I don't think he offered up any kind of – Jeff Levy was asked on oh, was Monday. Oh, Levy? Okay. And uh, he kind of basically said, like, Gavin Sawchuk made the trip. You know, Tawi yeah. Walker, he kind of just – he didn't really answer it. But he, he it were, sounds like Sawchuk and Tawi Walker are the next two. Right. Yeah, they were there in Ames, Bentavious Thompson – Nobody knows anything about him. I don't know him. where that guy is. He's in the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and then the other shoot, the other Juco or the other transfer that came in late. I uh, can't even remember his name right now. He's not playing this year, obviously. He's not oh, the Washington guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his name either. I had to look it up. Right. So, you know, the, the running back, you take one guy out of that, one of the, one of the frontline guys, whether it's Eric Gray, who, you know, was 30, was in the tent for 30 minutes in, in the injury tent, uh, had to come back and take that. Uh, Wildcat snap and score that late touchdown. He, you know, he talked after the game. He said he was fine. Um, but you take one guy out of that mix, and all of a sudden they get real thin, real fast at running back. So I'd like to see what uh, maybe we've seen. Tawi Walker this year. Gavin Sawchuk has played, but I think he's on the redshirt path. So you know, you could you you miss one more guy, and all of a sudden you're up against it. Forget redshirt. Forget JUCO backup mid mid season transfer and all that stuff. You're playing. The Washington transfer, by the way, Mecca Megwa. Yes. Megwa is uh, the young man's name. Yeah, but we won't see him this year. He's going to be redshirting. So. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting if um, this – so we've seen these looks early in games, so it wasn't when Eric Gray was in the injury tent or anything like that, but we've seen now screens run for Braden Willis. We've seen uh, Gavin Freeman kind of get screens. Drake Stoops get a couple of handoffs. Jalil Farouk and Marvin Mims get – motion to the backfield to, to take swing passes out of the backfield. It'd be interesting if if Javante Barnes and the hamstring can't give it a go, if that's what you see Jeff Levy move to as far as trying to uh, not make Eric Gray carry the ball, have 30 touches uh, against a very physical Baylor defense. Um, even if Eric Gray is 100% coming off of um, what he describes as just getting stretched out a whole lot, um, in the injury tent, which doesn't seem like you go to the injury tent for 30 minutes for that, but who knows? Maybe they just didn't want Iowa State to see that what he was favoring, which happens, stuff like that. But it'll be interesting to see because Jeff Levy attributed Marcus Major's struggles to not being 100% healthy this week. And um, if you didn't get 100% healthy over the bye week, it's no fault of anyone, right? Injuries are injuries, but football is a hard game to nurse an injury through a season, especially at a spot like running back where every time you get the ball, you're getting hit. So I just wouldn't expect to see Marcus major get to that healthy point, unless they're able to not really use him a ton. And that won't be an option if Javante Barnes isn't able to give it a go at the hamstring. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not as dire as the quarterback situation, but there is a parallel there in terms of if you don't have Javante Barnes, you're fine with Eric gray, but if Eric gray gets banged up, Marcus major, who has shown flashes, but you know it's just you, you don't you don't know for sure that he's going to step right in and, and perform, especially against a you know a good Baylor defense, a Baylor defense that's really good at stopping the run. So it gets dicey quick. 
like we you know what we're saying. If Eric Gray gets knocked out of this game and all indications are that he's going to play and all that good stuff, he obviously finished the game on Saturday, but you know, he's nursing something like Ryan said, and you know, that it's a little bit of a slippery, uh, you know, it could be fine. It could be a non-issue, but it also could be a big issue. So we'll see how that looks this weekend. And if Javante Barnes is suited up and playing on Saturday, certainly be uh, one of the things to keep an eye out there during warmups. One other thing before we dive into Baylor stuff that I wanted to touch on that Brent Venables talked about yesterday that was very interesting. Uh, Hoover alluded to right at the beginning there. Right at the end of his press conference, which was really long, like I said, he kind of was making some jokes, I guess, about, you know, Jeff Levy maybe getting a little too cute at times with the playbook, saying, hey, you know, um, if we have a play that works, the guy's wide open down the field, like who joked about earlier, run it again. That was his joke. And it was really kind of a peek behind the curtain in terms of, he kind of wants to simplify the playbook. I mean, he didn't, he kind of was said it and he was making us all laugh, but that was, that was the point and kind of interesting. And we'll see how that shakes out. What'd you guys make of that? Uh, Brent Venables yesterday kind of, you know, I don't know. It was, it was, like I said, it was joking around and we were all laughing about it, but there was actually like a, an interesting point being made. Yeah, it was a, there was an uh, maybe um, uncomfortable truth underneath his words and his jokes and his mannerisms. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the, the uncomfortable truth is that sometimes he has to remind uh, Jeff Levy, an offensive coordinator, "Hey, forget all those fancy plays, forget all those play sheets and all those calls and everything you came into this game with. What was that that you ran in the first quarter that worked so well? Run it again, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus the the deep balls they were, they were trying. I won't say a lot of deep balls. We've seen games where they've thrown the deep ball more frequently than they did at Iowa State, but it wasn't working against Iowa State. A little bit of wind, Dylan Gabriel not quite. On, although Jeff Lebby said he did like the ball placement from Dylan Gabriel, um, the DBs at, uh, at you know TJ Tampa um, at Iowa State were making plays on the ball. Receivers were not making plays on the ball. Uh, plus the drop, a couple of drops that were big. It just some, something wasn't clicking, and so Brent Venables uh, characterized that as when he's on the headset talking to Jeff Jeff Lebby, hey, that ain't working, Chief. Hey, Chief, that ain't working, I think is how he phrased it. Um, But, yeah, when he gets on and says, hey, Jeff, remember that play that you ran in the first quarter? In other words, the head coach has some suggestions, as he should, because he's the head coach, has some suggestions for the offensive coordinator. We all remember Bedlam 2011, I think it was, where uh, Bob Stoops had to remind uh, Josh Heupel, you know you've only run the football twice in the first half? What? Oh yeah, no, coach. I can. I'll, I'll run the football a little more in the second half. Didn't work out. Obviously, got uh, snow snowballed for against Oklahoma. But that's something that offensive coordinators sometimes have to be reminded. We can do other things. We don't have to do what's right in front of you. You're looking at this game through blinders. Yeah, and um, it's interesting just to see what it would be interesting to see what the actual dynamic was of, was it Brent that went in at halftime? It's like, Hey, the, the deep shots, you took them, you took them. So that I would say to stay honest, they're not connecting. So get back to the football. If that was just a, a passing suggestion, just unfortunate that there's no one there to tell Brent Venables through the middle of the season to run the four man front that was working as opposed to the three man front that might've helped. I wonder if Jeff has that kind of input going the other way, but yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just normal head coach stuff. No big to do. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see. I guess I'm curious if, as we move forward, if there's a little more of the bread and butter plays and we see them kind of go back to the well a little more often after Brent Venables kind of expressed that. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, one of those kind of, you know, 
funny things at the end of his uh, press conference, but it, it had some serious, you know, there was some meat there to what he was saying. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out and if anything changes uh, moving forward. Because, you know, there has been times we've talked about in our shows, you know, our post-game shows or Jeff Levy maybe gets a little, a little too cute at times where it's like, hey, man, until they show they can stop it, just kind of stick with what was working. We'll see how that looks uh, this weekend against Baylor. And that's what I'm talking about next. Oklahoma-Baylor this weekend. What was thought as the game in the Big 12 coming into the year, it's a 2 o'clock game on ESPN+. Plus. We'll talk about that next right here on the all Sinners Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement. 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance plus you get two pounds of freon every year at no charge and get this if your heating or air unit needs work it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under five hundred dollars if it's more than five hundred your cost comes in at just 25 percent of the trade pros price routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters carbon monoxide check thermostat check safety switches inspect pilot assembly check fan motor refrigerant check charge all kinds of stuff Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two. Let's dive into this game. Oklahoma, Baylor this weekend in Norman. Like I jokingly said right there before the break, coming into here, this was the game in the Big 12. Baylor was number one in the preseason poll. OU was the betting favorite to win the Big 12. This was uh, Baylor's the defending champs. Oklahoma was the back-to-back-to-back a million times over defending champs before that. And then, like who joked about in the, on the uh, post-game podcast, Baylor was the team that won it before OU started their streak. So this is the last, however many it is, a lot. Big 12 champions are these two teams. But they've had kind of similar seasons in terms of all those expectations. And it's been disappointing. Three losses on the board for Baylor. They lost to BYU in week two in Provo in overtime, double overtime. That loss didn't seem that bad at the time, but it turns out BYU is kind of not good at all. And they lost Oklahoma State at home, and they lost – what was the other loss? Oh, yeah, to West Virginia. West Virginia yeah. They've had some really ugly losses this season. Defense isn't as good as we thought it would be. We all have a lot of respect for Dave Aranda and still do, but certainly a disappointing season for, for the Bears. And they come into this – I mean – I said this on the wrap yesterday. One of these teams is going to have their fourth loss with still three weeks to go. And I don't think anybody would have thought that coming into the year for either team, let alone the possibility existing for both. So going to be interesting to see, you know, there's a lot of desperation in this game. The season can be salvaged somewhat and it can be a strong finish, but only really for one of these teams. Because whoever loses is kind of looking at saying this year really got away from us. So, Baylor last year lost uh, to the NFL draft, I think, six guys, which is tied for the most in school history. That's a big blow for a program like Baylor that doesn't typically have overwhelming depth. Uh, some Another number that jumps out at you from this year's Baylor team, they have 22 graduate students. That's fourth in the country, according to their game notes, 
22 graduate students. They've got a bunch of fifth-year seniors and a bunch of sixth-year seniors and a bunch of transfers. they got a bunch of guys who are experienced at what they're doing. One of those transfers is uh, from University of Tulsa, Jackson Player, big defensive tackle, plays right next to Siaki Ikeb, gives them arguably one of the best one-two punches at the defensive tackle or defensive interior position in the country. Those guys are enormous. They're uh, space eaters. They're, they're, they push the pile. They push the uh, line of scrimmage backwards. And you're right, Josh, it just hasn't clicked for whatever reason. And I'm sure for yeah. a defensive genius, as we've all labeled him, like Dave Aranda, uh, it's probably got to be frustrating to have a defense that ranks 50th in the country in scoring, scoring defense, and 29th overall. I'm sure they had higher hopes for this defense and, and this season coming off their first Big 12 championship in, uh, what, six years, seven years. Yeah, they're missing Petrie a lot. It's it's been mostly the past defense where the Bears have looked susceptible, which is uh, not what we're accustomed to seeing. Obviously, Ika and Player do a lot of work in the ground game um, as they're now, after Oklahoma put 182 yards on the ground on Iowa State, Baylor now leads the conference in rushing defense if you go um, week to week, kind of judging by that. So um, – it's it's one of those things where Baylor has not been able to replicate that kind of production on the back end and losing a guy like Petrie. I mean, he's balling out for the Texans right now. So you see, uh, like we all knew this, right? Um, it's just been interesting because because usually what what Aranda's so good at doing is his linebackers are all over the place. You never know where they're going to be, all that stuff. And you'd think, despite the fact that you've lost some of that talent on the back end with Ika and player there, if they're eating basically the four assignments on the offensive line, that the linebackers would have all the room in the world to kind of get in there, be disruptive to opposing quarterbacks, all that stuff, and it's just not how that's worked out. So this one, uh, Brent Venables and Jeff Levy, they'll both point to the O-line, D-line battle on their respective side of the football because that's going to be massive in helping decide this one as both teams run the ball really, really well. And – both teams kind of give it up in the passing game if they're not able to get any pressure on the opposing quarterback. Yeah, to Ryan's point, Baylor 22nd in the country in rush defense, um, outside the top 50 in pass defense. It, it That has been their Achilles heel as the back end. So that being said, is that the key matchup? Is it Oklahoma's offensive line versus Baylor's defensive line? And if OU can run the ball, they're going to be in great shape. Or is it somewhere else that you guys are kind of keeping your eye on as far as kind of the matchup that might determine which way things go uh, on Saturday? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure Oklahoma nationally ranked 70th in the country in passing yards per game. Um, there, you're looking at a, going against a Baylor defense that's 58th against uh, against the pass, defending the pass, 58th versus 70th. So. That's not a huge thing that you're going to be able to exploit. I think there's going to be some matchups that favor Oklahoma for sure. Uh, this this Baylor pass defense is not imposing. They don't cast fear in anybody like last year's team did, for instance. Um, like some some other secondaries in the Big 12 maybe this year do. Uh, they can be had, but I don't think that's anything that's, you know, who knows if it's going to be windy again. We're coming off uh, a Friday where it's supposed to be stormy and lots of rain. It could be wet, slippery, could be windy a mm-hmm. little bit. You never know. You can't, you know, bank on the elements, whatever uh, you're hoping for. But if you're Oklahoma, for me, I know Brent Venable said his favorite matchup or, or the most important matchup of the game was Baylor running the football against the Oklahoma defense. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say 
Oklahoma running the football against the Baylor defense is the matchup of the day for me. And that that Oklahoma offensive line, which is probably the most accomplished unit on the Oklahoma team this year, they've been playing great. They play, they had arguably their best game, 186 yards rushing against the Big 12's top run defense last week at Iowa State. Um, they've been playing great. If they're who they think they are, they need to be able to run the football against Baylor. Not bang your head against the wall, run the football where, you know, Siaki, Ika, and Jackson player are stuffing everything at the line and you're getting no yards at all. Get creative. Like Ryan was talking about earlier, jet sweeps, a uh, little screen action, you know, uh, bubble stuff. If you have to, if, if it's not working, uh, being able to exploit what's at the line of scrimmage, what's in the interior, then you're going to have to attack them on the edge. Yeah, th- this reminds me very different, right? Quality of teams, different, all that stuff. But if you remember back to like the 2018 Orange Bowl, and Lincoln Riley just said, "Screw this, we're going to run it straight at Quinn Williams and the heart of Alabama's defensive line," and you're going, "Why? Why would you do that with big guys like that in the middle? Run to the perimeter, use your tempo, and wear them down, and then maybe in the third and fourth quarter you can come back and gash up the middle if you do a good job." with what you're doing physically up front. So that'll be interesting to see. I think it's interesting that this is the week that, that wide receivers and their blocking ability kind of got brought up um, as they've been good on the perimeter. Oklahoma will need that extra lift, I think, in the running game. But uh, for me, I think Brett Vittles was right. If Oklahoma can't even come close to stopping Richard Reese on the ground, then they're probably not going to also have any pressure on Blake Shapin. And Shapin's been pretty streaky this year. But if you give him time, he can pick you apart. It's when you... Uh, are able to confuse him where you can kind of get some of those turnovers, stuff like that. And Oklahoma is still struggling to get any kind of pressure on, on the opposing passer, even as they've played a little bit better uh, the last two games out against Kansas and Iowa State. Fill in the blank. Oklahoma wins this game if they do what? That's not easy to <laughs> to pin down. Um Run the football for 140, 150 yards. Uh, get out of get out of the game without a turnover. Dominate on special teams like they did last week. Any one of those three, I think Oklahoma can mm-hmm. win this game. Yeah, I think they need to win the turnover margin by two or more because they're not going to be able to stop Richard Reese on the ground. I, I don't know how much success the offense is going to have running the ball. Like I, I think that they should be fine and have success, but there's a very real world where Oklahoma can't run the football. And so uh, they, they need to turn shaping over or rip fumbles. Key Lawrence get in there and, and punch a fumble out like you did against Iowa State. That just happened on the sideline where they couldn't recover it. Otherwise, oh, you might have had a shot at four turnovers against the Cyclones. Continue that turnover streak, and I think that'll – uh, cover up some of the shortcomings just as far as straight up in coverage when they don't get that interception on the back end defensively and just the run defense that I think is going to get gashed. I think there's going to be any you know level of revenge factor for these guys. I mean, obviously the guys who are back, um, the new coaches, the new players, what do they care? But the guys, you know, last year's Baylor game was uh, highly anticipated. It was big noon kickoff. It was a big game in Waco. Then the Bears, remember – it was a wild time. Feels like forever ago, but they stormed the field. Iran took the timeout, got the fans off the field, kicked that extra field goal just to basically rub it in a little more. Then they stormed the field a second time. I mean, I, I asked Reggie Grimes about it earlier this week. You know, is there any, has that been talked about at all? You know, the returning players and 
you know, he mostly downplayed, but he did admit that for the guys who were here last year, this is an opportunity. And he sees it that way as, you know, last year's game, we didn't love that. We didn't love the fans storming the field twice on us. So the chance to play them again is certainly tantalizing. So I'm, you know, I'm curious if that's, if that's in the back of the mind, obviously specifically with the guys who were a big part of last year's team, Deshaun White, Danny Stutzman, David Aguebu, these guys on the defensive side, especially. Um, I'm curious to see. And if after the game, if they'll admit it. Yeah, so we talked to some players about this on Monday. Uh, Deshaun White reminded us that he wasn't at that game, that he had the flu. I had totally oh, forgotten yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Damon Harmon reminded us that he was one of the 11 who got called out onto the field to, to experience the extra point snap. in the second crowd rush. And uh, Marvin Mims actually said about the crowd rushing the field, he said it was cool. He said, I thought that was cool. But don't think for a minute that that is, you know, not in the back of these guys' mind, kind of for some of them probably in the front of their mind. Absolutely. It's it's one of – I said this in the in the uh, postgame – well, not even the postgame. It was like right while we were sitting there waiting to figure out what the heck was going on, getting everybody, getting 8,000 people off the field so they could kick a field goal that Dave Aranda called timeout for was the biggest officiating mistake the Big 12 has ever made, and the Big 12 has made some boner – officiating mistakes, some big ones. So um, think about that for a second. You let 8,000 people onto the field as time is expiring, and then you grant the home coach, the home coach of the crowd who is rushing the field, you grant him a timeout with two seconds left, and then you make everybody get off the field, and then you give the the, the home coach the ability to kick a field goal, tack on extra points in a, in a meaningless, meaningless score. Uh, what is the Big 12 doing? This is where the Big 12 and their officials and their their game management, it's one of the low points. It's one of the low points. And don't get the idea that I'm sitting here angry that he kicked a field goal or any of that. I was mad, if you guys will remember, because I posted a, the score bug of the final score being 24-13 or 14 instead of 27-14. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was not happy about having to being wrong and then having to repost that that's me being selfish, but that was something that um, just, you got to be better, be better. Don't let 8,000 people onto the field and then try to kick them all off and then let them do it again. Stupid. I don't actually think the revenge factor is that huge just because like Reggie Grimes said so many new guys and it just feels so different how that thing's run, um, which is kind of why I asked him, okay, so if that's not what, um, the revenge factor is all that stuff. What is it then that, that you're telling the new guys as far as what to expect out of this game? And Reggie Grimes said that Baylor's incredibly physical. These games are absolute fist fights, right? Mm. Um, and that's what every single player I, I was, I talked to Billy Bowman, Woody Washington, um, Anton Harrison, Reggie Grimes, Dylan Gabriel. Physicality was was kind of the buzzword coming out of every single one of those player interviews on Monday night. So, I mean, yeah, everyone that was in that game is going to have that little bit inside of them, but I, that's totally normal for any player coming back. Like, we're, they're going to say the same thing about Bedlam when that comes around here in a couple of weeks. I don't think sure. that that's really because things are so different. Adds anything different to this game either way. I just think it's physicality, and it's it's two teams that are desperate to. Um, finish, right? Like that, that that's the Brent Venables that this team's going to be defined by how they finish. I'm sure Dave Rand is saying similar things in Waco. And so I think that's kind of where the desperation that you're going to get from both sides comes from this Saturday. 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like, like I referenced earlier, the winner of this game has got a path to finish strong and to still feel, you know, mostly okay with how their season went. Um, Both disappointing, obviously. Both thought they were going to win this conference or be there right at the end. But the loser is really hurting. Four lot be five and four if we ever lose this game, and you're looking at the season saying, "What happened?" So I think that uh, that desperation level is going to be on display, like Ryan was just saying, and it's going to be interesting. Going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Oklahoma and Baylor. Uh, we'll have our official game picks for this one on Friday on Allsters.com. Looking forward to that. Just please be dry. I think it will be. I think it will be. It sounds like Friday is the total washout day. Gotcha. Um, high school football all across the state has been moved up a day. Um, Oklahoma baseball forward series, they moved that up a day. Like Friday looks like monsoon, but I think Saturday is, is going to be okay, I think, hopefully, um, at least for my sake. Um, let, let's hope. But uh should be nice, and we'll get this thing rolling. OU Baylor, like I joked about earlier, coming into the year, this was the game. We all circled it like this is going to be awesome, and we're here 2 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Um, Unbelievable! You just never know how a season's gonna gonna go. Well, that's the uh, you know, like we said, two have combined for at least a share of every Big Twelve championship since twenty twelve. That feels very purple right now. It does. It does. It does. It does. And we'll talk about that next up. We'll go around the Big Twelve. Look at some of the matchups this weekend. If Oklahoma wants to have any shot at getting back in the Big Twelve race, there's one result they have to have go their way. We'll talk about that. Next on the Ultras podcast, we'll hit a little NFL talk and some weird, sudden basketball news right before the season starts. We'll talk about that as well. Next up, final segment on the Ultras podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 155. Hit some last few things that we'll send you on your way into your November weekend. Round the Big 12 this weekend, a full slate, five games, and a teaser up for the break there. The big one is Texas at Kansas State in Manhattan on Saturday night. If Oklahoma wants to get back in the Big 12 race, you gotta have Texas win that game. I mean, you need K-State to start losing, and that's, that's one that... You guys obviously lose a bowl against Texas, you would think. I mean, Kansas State is going to be favored at home in that. But they have a few chances to lose. The big one, though, can't is Texas this weekend. They play at Baylor next week, and they finish with Kansas at home. They also go to Morgantown, so I guess it's a chance they could drop that. But if you want Oklahoma to get into this race, and it's far-fetched. we talk about that many times. You need Kansas State to start losing some games because, obviously, you're not going to catch TCU. They're still undefeated. So you need Kansas State to start to fall back to the pack a little bit. They have Texas this weekend. That's the big game in the conference, and we'll see uh, how that shakes out. You also have Texas Tech, TCU, which is the big noon kickoff game, which is wild. Um, I I mean, that's just a we want to get TCU in here because they haven't yet kind of a thing because Texas Tech should not be on primetime in any capacity. Oklahoma State and Kansas, and then West Virginia, Iowa State is kind of the ugly game 
uh, of the weekend in the Big 12. So, okay, so I'm just going to say this. It's over for Oklahoma. They're out of the Big 12 championship race. I saw where ESPN, FPI had them at like a 0.4% chance of getting into the Big 12 championship game as the second-place team. It's over. There's two teams ahead of you that have beaten you that have way fewer losses than you. Time to move on from the Big 12 discussion uh, and maybe get to nine wins, win a bowl game, and off you go with 10. It's a decent season if you're Oklahoma. The one I have questions about this week, guys, how in the hell is Texas, how did they open as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Kansas State? And how did they move at K-State? How did they move to a a two-and-a-half-point favorite? What am I missing? K-State's coming off one of its biggest wins in certainly the Chris Kleiman era, uh, beating Oklahoma State 48 to nothing. Texas is a favorite? I'm missing something. So that's obviously my lock of the week, which is clearly a trap game of some kind. Yeah, I I think that, like, Will Howard's a lot of fool's gold. Like, Will Howard wasn't making big league throws or anything to beat OSU. Like, it was just awful defense from the Cowboys. You had screens, uh, runs just up the middle, stuff like that. Texas coming off a bye week. Kansas State having to deal with that kind of success. I think that's probably the thought process there. I, I don't agree with it, but, I like, I guess that's how you can get there. Um, that, that one's interesting. You said ugly game, the West Virginia, Iowa state really, Josh, every game of this conference is ugly. It it looks like it's a lot of just meh football being played. Like it's not bad football, but it's just a a lot of just workmanlike, not a ton of glitz and glamor outside of really the the TCU offense. Now that Spencer Sanders is, is looking like he's carrying an injury, uh, with the Cowboys. And so that makes for fun weekends of results of looking at these scams, just like, Shoot, you can talk me into any result except for TCU losing to Tech probably of of four of these five games. Yeah, I just assumed that Kansas State was the favorite. I didn't even look at the line. Yeah, I got it at three. Texas minus three uh, right now, which is, yeah, that's kind of surprising, especially considering that Adrian Martinez might be back. It's not a given. I mean, he almost played on uh, Saturday. I mean, he was like a game-time decision, told Chris Kleiman, actually, you know what, I don't think I'm good enough. You have a better chance with Will Howard. He was correct. Will Howard absolutely destroyed Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, that's surprising to me. That's going to be the game to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, we'll be peeking in on that while we're doing our post game stuff. While we're waiting an hour for Brent Venable to start post game, we'll watch the. We'll keep an eye on the start of that, and uh, certainly going to be worth keeping an eye on. Like who was saying, it's pretty much over for OU. But if K State loses twice, which is possible, the the door cracks open and. Crazy scenarios are now in play because it could be a lot of teams that have three losses. So that that's that's your opportunity. TCU, forget about them. They're, they're undefeated. That's not happening. But Kansas State already has one loss under their belt. If they can lose two more times, crazy things could happen, I guess, is the best way to put that. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but if they beat Texas at home, it's they're probably not going to lose two more times. So we'll see what happens uh, this weekend in the Big 12, which is just a mess of a league. TCU – um, seven in the initial college football playoff rankings last night, which it was amazing. How amazing was it that we didn't have to care about that or pretend to? Yeah. The, pl- the, uh, playoff rankings. Yeah. 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 Didn't, uh, didn't even know that, uh, I didn't even tune in. It's amazing. Didn't even tune in. Couldn't have cared less. Yeah. Just, get, <laughs> get, just pop it up. Give me the top 25 in the email in my inbox and I'll, uh, check it <laughs> then. Yeah. Although, although it's always worth noting 
Uh, Boo Corrigan is the uh, playoff committee chairman this year. He said that he was impressed by the way Ohio State came back against Penn State. But then he said he, the reason they ranked TCU behind Alabama was because they were behind. They had to come back and win those games. That's terrible when you fall behind and have to come back and win. But if you're Ohio State, that's a good thing. What a what a load of crap the, the CFP <laughs> has become. Uh, the playoff committee and all that stuff has just become a load after load after load of BS. And they're just they speaking out of both sides of their mouth. It's 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 let's be honest. It's an embarrassment. You want Alabama higher than TCU because Alabama has better TV ratings than TCU. Jeez, just say it. Well, it's Alabama. They got way more fans and they got a way better chance to win the national championship. You know, it's Ohio State. Of course, they, they have the biggest fan base out there. We want them in the playoff. Just say it. Say what everybody knows. The biggest mistake is making them defend the rankings for 30 minutes because uh, my co-host from 3 to 6, Chisholm Holland, has a really good point that like anyone make a top 25 and then give it to everybody and let everyone pick through it for half an hour and then ask you questions. And there's probably going to be some uh, hypocrisy on, okay, well, in this 18-17 slot, you use this as the tiebreaker and then it flipped on the six, seven spot. Well, yeah. make, make it make sense. All that stuff. Rankings are very subjective or, and that that's what makes college football fun, right? It's an imperfect model, imperfect system. It's the storylines. It's the narratives instead of just the NFL where here's the, in the hunt graphic. Like that's what makes them different. Right. Cause it's just straight up record. And uh, my biggest thing is yes, it's dumb, but also, When's the last time we made it to to Selection Sunday for the CFP where there's like five undefeated, you're having to, to split hairs, all that stuff? It Most of the time works its way out. And guess what? There's usually only two teams that are worth playing for a national championship anyway. All this has done is made sure we get those two teams to the end as opposed to maybe one gets left out in the BCS. So, Yeah, my opinion on the, on the CFP committee has been made very clear over the time. I don't think they do a great job at all. Um, it's why I've been pro-expansion because it just eliminates how important they are um because it gets played out on the field as opposed to the other way yeah tcu having to come from behind as opposed to alabama who's just lost a game that's a that's a really that's a that's an all-timer for sure uh good start for boo Cor- uh, corrigan that was his first time ever and he delivered one of the dumber things we've ever heard from the cfp chair tcu having to come from behind docking them when referring to alabama who has lost a game that's insane but uh thankfully we don't have to worry about it last year for those who weren't with us we record the podcast on Tuesdays. We would save the third segment, come back and do it after the playoff reveal. So we talk about how low OU was, like they were every week last year. Um, thankfully, don't have to do that this year. Um, Oklahoma might be able to climb in there if they win a couple more games, but it's still not going to be worth reaction show because they're going to be at the bottom. <laughs> so thankfully, uh, our lives are completely re-engineered uh, this time around. Look at the NFL. Um, this weekend, this past weekend, I should say, for some Sooners, Baker Mayfield, he's the backup in Carolina. It's going to stay that way uh, for a while. P.J. Walker, um, while he definitely, as an Atlanta Falcons fan who watched every snap of that game, he had a lot of missed throws, but he also plays really hard. His teammates seem to like him, and he had that insane Hail Mary dime at the end. So Baker is healthy. People maybe kind of look confused by that. Baker Mayfield is healthy, and he's back. He's dressed. He's just not playing. Uh, they're starting P.J. Walker, uh, at least moving forward. The Cardinals are awful. Um, I It's a stinks for Kyler because he's not playing great either, but the Cardinals just stink, and Cliff Kingsbury probably should be fired ASAP. On the bright side, the positives, 
Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are still undefeated. They're rocking and rolling. He's maybe the MVP of the league right now. And CeeDee Lamb, I don't know if people have noticed, but CeeDee Lamb is on pace to have a really good season statistically. He is going to blow through his career highs. Um, it's only his third season, but I looked it up on Sunday when doing Sooners the NFL. He's on pace, season career high in yards, catches, touchdowns, all that. He, he's doing a really nice job as the number one target there uh, in Dallas. So takeaways for you guys, whatever jumped out to you from uh, NFL Sooners over the weekend. Yeah, so this is – this is exactly what we predicted when Baker got traded to the Panthers. And that is his head coach, Matt rule is going to be the first guy fired. I believe he was Uh, the next guy who replaced him is not going to give a crap about who that team traded for. They're going to try and win now and win with the best young talent. And if it's the same six and one hand, half dozen, the other, you always go with the younger guy, all that stuff. The the guy with the smaller contract, the guy with the most to, to gain and the least to lose. That's all. That's how it's working out for Baker. He's looking around now going, am I ever going to be a starting quarterback again? I think he will be uh, eventually. It has to be the right situation. You can't just be traded somewhere and, and play for a crappy team and get the crap beat out of you and expect to be the starting quarterback. That's not how the NFL works. Um, you're right. Kyler's in a bad situation where he comes off the sideline during a timeout and screams at his head coach. If you think that stuff goes away, that yeah. stuff does not go away. Did you see the way he looked at him as he turned around to walk back on the field? He looks over his shoulder and he's just like, Oh, I just glared at him. I'm just, that was probably worse than the actual screaming at him. Um, and then hurts, man. What can you say? It's probably, I still say it's going to be Josh Allen as the MVP, but hurts. What do you have? Two ninety and three touchdown passes last year, last week, two of them were absolute dimes. He's playing free. Um, Sirianni's got him playing free mind. His, his, he's not clouded, mm-hmm. uh, run when you want to run, run when it's there, you know, throw, throw with confidence. Uh, he's, he's playing, think back to his freshman year when he was basically a running back at Alabama. And then think back to his sophomore year championship game when he couldn't get anything going and lost his job at halftime to Tua. And then think back to his junior year when everything was going against him and Tua was the man and everybody loved Tua, Tua gets hurt. He comes off the bench behind in the SEC championship game and he starts throwing just dimes to everybody. And that's kind of what he's doing right now. It's like, I got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose. Somehow yeah. the the coaching staff there in Philly has convinced him, you got nothing to lose. Just go out and play ball. Yeah, he's, uh, he's played his way out of being a Band-Aid and looking like a guy that while he's on this contract, can continue to replicate this. It'll be interesting, though. I think a lot of his success is because he's playing behind the best offensive line in football. They've got great skill position players. They've got a really good defense. You can do that if he stays on the kind of money he's on right now. If he demands QB1 money, then it becomes on, okay, you've got to take that next step, that next evolution, and show that you can now make other guys better as opposed to being the beneficiary of everything being good. So that's for a long time. But coming into the season, the question was, is Philly going to enter the tank race if they don't get things going? And now they're the last unbeaten, and you're looking at their schedule going, there's no reason they shouldn't finish as the one seed in the NFC with kind of the soft schedule. So A lot of wins um, on that schedule. Yeah. Uh, when, when you look elsewhere, too, something that didn't happen this weekend, but trade deadline, Bradley Chubb got moved out of Denver, which opens up an even bigger path for Nick Benito as a guy that in his rookie season is kind of trying to make his way there. So that's something for – Another Oklahoma guy that wasn't necessarily on the field, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's done. Put a fork in Baker. I think it's more likely he's out of the league totally in three years than is a backup or a starter somewhere else. He was awful this year, and he's not Chase Daniel. He's not um, Case Keenum. He, he's not Colt McCoy that I'll just sit back here and be the backup and, and collect those checks for the next 10 years as a member of that room. Um, he's got that personality that is great when you're winning and sucks if you're losing, and no one wants that as a backup. He, he's got that personality, Ryan. He's never going to quit. He's never going to admit he's not a starting quarterback. He's going to, he's going to hang on. He's going to kick around. He's going to go from team to team journeyman or whatever, looking for that one opportunity that's going to allow him to put, to keep that chip on his shoulder and say to everybody, see, I told you guys, I'm 33 years old now and I'm starting in a playoff game. I told you guys I was this good. He's, he's just got that mentality. Yeah. Well, that's fine. A GM has to want to bring you in. I don't want him as my backup quarterback because he's he's not proven that he can do it uh, the last couple of years. He had one year where, again, it was another situation where everything around him, good offensive line, great skill position players, all that stuff. He was efficient, sure, for half the year. And I don't want that distraction as a backup quarterback. I want a guy that's going to come in and just learn everything, be quiet. And, and the only time we learn about him is if so-and-so – has a trend strap that, that breaks for a couple of drives. Like, I don't want Baker as my backup quarterback. I don't want it. Yeah. No, I, I don't, you know, love Baker. I do think he's gotten a raw deal. Um, the Browns, I mean, changing head coaches so many times. In the one year that he was healthy, they were a good team. They were so close to the AC Championship, played through an injury that he shouldn't have. Panthers was a no-win deal. Um, he really has had a rough go, but he also hasn't done himself any favors on the field, and he – I have a really hard time imagining a world where he starts a game again, unless there's an injury, um, you know, that, that opens the door. Um, PJ Walker gets hurt this year, or I do think that he can work as a backup as long as it's a situation where it's very obvious. He's the backup, like the bills or something. You know what I mean? Like he's clear, like he goes there knowing he's not going to play. There's no chance for con like that. That's a situation where I think it could work. And um, maybe down the road, he gets another shot, but I, I don't, Hard to imagine. Um, what about Philly? What if he backs up Jalen Hurts? And that would Philly? be really weird. <laughs> Those are two very different guys. I, I would say Kansas City, but I just don't think he has it in him to back up Mahomes. I just think a no. pride thing he wouldn't. He would never do that. Do that. No. Yeah, exactly. So I think maybe Buffalo or just again somewhere where he's clearly the backup. There's no controversy. There's no. There, he he would sign the deal knowing I'm not playing unless uh, Green Bay something something like that. Um, that's about my only, um, but maybe there is a coach or a GM that can sell themselves on him this off season and he gets another shot. I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll find out in due time, but, uh, he's the backup there at least moving forward in uh Carolina, but those first place Falcons has, you know, shut him, shut him down, PJ, shut him down. So looking, uh, uh, wrap up here real quick, uh, with a little bit of basketball news real fast. On the way out here, this came out of nowhere uh, yesterday. Matt Brady, assistant coach. Um, OU fans aren't really probably familiar with him at all. We're not. And he's only been on the team since June. Obviously, hadn't even got to a season yet. Suddenly uh, resigned from his post yesterday. We didn't get any any details other than uh, for personal reasons. Um, the release was like two sentences long. Um, so we got basically no info at all. I'm sure Porter Moser will be asked about it in due time, um, of course, but OU's down an assistant coach. Um, just, you know, the season starts on Monday. Um, 
Obviously, you have other assistants. Uh, you imagine the role increases for Ryan Humphrey, who they just brought in. We talked about that before, um, as well as Emmanuel Dildy, who was on the staff last year. Um, but, I mean, that not ideal, obviously, for Oklahoma. You lose an assistant, again, less than a week before the season starts. And again, this came out of completely out of nowhere. So you resigned for personal reasons. I wonder if there's anybody on, say, the, I don't know, Kansas Jayhawks staff who might be uh, looking for work. Early, early on in the season, at least, uh, first four games, uh, Bill Self and hit one of his assistants taking that four-game suspension a by big the NCAA, suspension. by the school. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you're right. Bad timing, weird circumstances. No one really knows the the you know the, the origin or the genesis of this other than the, the parties involved, and it would be uh, reckless to speculate. But, um, oh, not, yeah. yeah, not an ideal situation for Oklahoma basketball to be starting the season starting the season next week, November 7th, down one assistant coach. It's going to be weird. wonder if Oklahoma's reached out to M.A. Adoka to see if he has any interest in uh, leaving his post. Oh, no, probably not. No. Um, it's obviously, like you said, who personal reasons is what labeled on it. That's um, all I've been able to gather from it. I've uh, not had any success kind of, kind of pilfering through that over the last 24 hours. It's just a weird, weird happenstance this is the second time that this has happened on campus different situations obviously but going into the season losing an assistant coach just like football did it just a weird that you have that happen uh twice on the eve of of getting seasons going 100 so we'll see uh again I, i imagine porter moser will be asked about it i don't know if he'll he'll uh you know, give us much details, but it'll come up. Um, probably I imagine we'll get Porter before the opener or the openers on Monday. So I don't really know how that's going to work out schedule wise, but, um, if not before the opener, probably in post game after the opener uh, on Monday, it, it'll come up. So we'll uh, probably find out some more information about that soon. Basketball season is next week. That's insane. Women play an exhibition tomorrow, Thursday night, then they get their season started for real on Monday as well. It's a double header at the Lloyd Noble center. Um, on Monday, women play and then the men play right after. So big, uh, big day of hoops, and we'll uh, look forward to that. Getting the season started on the hardwood. All right, think that's it for us. Real quick, uh, right yeah. before we hopped on, softball schedule dropped. Um, they've got twenty teams that were NCAA tournament teams last year on the schedule. This year, they've got four rematches, or not rematches, four matchups against teams that were in the Women's College World Series last year. And for the fans at home, there's a midweek Oklahoma's bringing in Florida State. So that's kind of the headliner as far as the home slate at Marita Hines. And they'll also, they're, they're going to play at Mississippi State for an invitational thing. Kentucky's coming to Norman um, for as part of their little multi-team tournament. And then the, the SEC midweek that's become a tradition is LSU this year. So they've got that. And then a early season matchup again with UCLA out at Mary Nutter. So plenty to... Uh, digest once that gets rolling in February uh, and March and all that stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. The Diamond Sports will be here before you know it. Baseball had their schedule last week. Got some fun stuff on there as well. Um, just about a little, about three and a half months till the Diamond Sports get going. And just like basketball, it kind of sneaks up on you because you're right at the end of basketball and all of a sudden you're looking up saying, oh my gosh, baseball and softball play next weekend. You know, that, that's how that usually goes. So check that out. Softball schedule, baseball schedules are both out, and uh, uh, stories on both of those are on allsooners.com. All right, that's it for us. Thanks so much for watching, listening, all that good stuff. We will be in Norman, of course, on Saturday, 
for Oklahoma and Baylor. Two o'clock start, allsnews.com, the place to be leading up to the start of that game. There's tons of preview coverage there for you already. There will be more into, uh, leading up to obviously to the start of the game on Saturday and then during the game, the live blog afterward. Full post-game reaction from Brent Venables, coaches, players, the three of us. And, of course, look for the post-game podcast, which is recorded certified fresh Saturday night in the press box in Norman. And we'll get that out to the masses, our immediate gut check, gut, uh, not gut check, gut reactions is what I was looking for there to Oklahoma and Baylor on Saturday in Norman. Thank you so much for listening. Catch that post-game show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Let's post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, watch all the shows on Who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for now. We'll see you on Saturday from Norman. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.